We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Giants' 2019 offseason is in its early stages still, but with the Senior Bowl wrapped up, this is Big Blue Banter. I'm Dan Steyer with CBS Interactive, 24-7 Sports, and I'm with my co-host today, Nick Turchin, Cover One, and we're going to be talking a lot today. We're going to be diving into Nick's experience at the Senior Bowl, what he learned watching practices, what he learned on tape. We're going to do a little preview of the free agent market, at least on the offensive line, offensive tackle, offensive guard, center position, and we're also going to catch you up on Giants news and take a quick look, at least a brief look, at where we stand right now with the number six overall pick in the 2019 NFL Draft. And then last, of course, our favorite part of the show, we're going to dive into the questions from you. This is a great show today. we got a lot of questions from you that I'm excited about. But first, Nick, I want to know, what was your overall experience? And, and don't dive into the players yet, but what, what was your first experience like at the Senior Bowl? Uh, it was awesome. It was, uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a great eye-opening experience to go down there. I was there from uh, early Monday morning through Wednesday night, basically. Or no, sorry, it was Thursday morning at that point. I missed Thursday's practice. So I missed one day of practice, but two days of practices. Um, my first real NFL event as a credited media guy. So being able to kind of go wherever you wanted to go. Uh, and it's kind of the, the mobile, basically everyone descends and takes over mobile. Um, and, and when I say everyone, meaning everyone from vendors to agents to, to former players, my first guy I walked in, I saw was AJ McCarron uh, pulling into the Ford F-150. So like, that's the kind of environment it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and for me, it was, it was really a lot of spending time either at the two practices that I, well, we can only go to one practice because Wednesday's practice was close due to weather. Um, but the practices really give you kind of a lot of good hands-on ability to see the players, see their body types, um, 
we the weigh in was was kind of interesting, kind of fun, interesting way to view men across the stage. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but besides that, though, the coolest thing was the accessing the practice tape, um, which basically the practices are too much to take all in basically and once you can focus on a couple things but it's too short and there's just you know the 100 total players over four hours basically uh so spending a lot of time in the practice room i was literally in there for probably 12 to 15 hours over three days um just just breaking down whatever you really wanted to in there was 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 awesome um so it's a great great experience yeah i mean that sounds awesome just getting your hands on 12 to 15 hours of game tape just being down there the entire experience sounded awesome we talked a little bit off off podcast about it. And hopefully one day 24 seven sports will send me down there. But uh, before we dive into the, the takeaways from the senior bowl and a little bit of a recap, I do want to do a quick recap of the giants news since the last time we spoke. And the last time we did this podcast was, was right in the beginning stage of the off season. Uh, since then, not much has actually happened. I mean, the giants have parted ways with veteran linebacker Connor Barrow. And this is something we knew would happen. They're going to free up a little under $2 million in salary cap space with the move. Nothing crazy. Um, obviously this decision was, you know, it was coming. They want to make room for Lorenzo Carter to get more snaps in there and whoever else they bring in at the linebacker position. And again, I think the linebacker position is now a key focal point for this front office, for this franchise moving forward, as far as investing assets into it. It was a position they did not invest assets in under Jerry Reese and the Mark Ross tenure. But I think that's changing because Gettleman and his and his crew view the linebacker position differently. They view what they're looking for at the linebacker position differently. And they made three offseason acquisitions at the linebacker position last year. Three big ones, I should say. Lorenzo Carter, um, obviously, was the big one. Alec Ogletree in the middle. And then Tay Davis, another guy in the middle who they like, who they had their chance to get and sign after the draft. And that doesn't even include, uh, you know, the free agent signing Connor Barwin. But aside from that, it, it's going to be another matter of days, I would say, before the Giants uh, decide not to pick up Jonathan Stewart's option, and he will also be released. Um, in other news, Eli Manning decision, I mean, there are some reports you can choose to believe them or not that the Giants are leaning towards resigning him. I don't believe any reports I read uh, from anonymous sources from the Post or whoever. I think Paul Schwartz did an article on this. But again, with anonymous sources, that's just something I, not, I choose not to believe uh, as a reporter and somebody who covers this team, um, you know, uh, it's not saying I don't think the Giants will retain Eli Manning. I'm not sure on that decision right now, and we'll get to that later, but I'm going to wait for that one to unfold. And again, for those who you know are, are, are keeping up, the Giants will make a decision on Manning before March 17th when his $5 million roster bonus kicks in. And then lastly, the only other real news regarding this team, uh, Jamon Brown, uh, pending free agent, obviously the guy they claimed, the offensive guard they claimed off the Los Angeles Rams, uh, on waivers midway through the season and starting right away at right guard and finished the season at right guard might've played hurt the final few games. I've, I read, I read that recently, uh, you know, some, uh, just from an article, a quote from him, but he recently posted a, a video uh, with giants teammates working out, basically saying we're going all in for 2019. Maybe it's a hint that the giants are going to resign him. Maybe it's, maybe it's just him saying he wants to get resigned by the giants, but that that's an interesting one there because as we'll get to a little bit later in the show, here um the job the free agent market at offensive guard is not loaded with talent there's one big name and we'll talk but we'll talk about him but you know the giants if they want to keep providing that you know competition on the offensive line like we've talked about re-signing a guy like brown makes a lot of sense but anyway let's dive a little bit into the senior bowl recap and we're going to start with the quarterback position because that was my goal for nick Focus on the quarterback position. Let's get this thing down. 
We really need to see if there's any of these guys, you know, at least at the senior bowl, and just in general, who could be the next Giants franchise quarterback, somebody who we could go all in on, and then hopefully for somebody who the front office can go all in on. And we'll start with Daniel Jones, the senior bowl MVP. Obviously, those who are keeping track, and obviously those who listen to this podcast probably know the Giants drafted the senior bowl MVP in consecutive years. Obviously, in 2018, it was Kyle Aletta. The year before, it was Davis Webb. And now that man is Daniel Jones. Um, Nick, what did you see from Jones throughout the week uh, as far as just everything goes? Leadership, how he looked in practice, and then how he looked in the game. Yeah, the first thing that struck me at Jones when I walked by him, he's a little more gangly uh, than I had kind of anticipated. He's 6'5", 225. Uh, in terms of weight, in terms of the way he carried his body, I think he can actually put on a few pounds and may want to do that as years go on for him. Um, just kind of interesting to kind of note. Uh, you know, he's known as kind of a guy that's like a, you know, he's a real team guy and is, and is obviously a Cutcliffe disciple. disciple. Um, look, I, I'm not going to dive too much in this part of it, but he got kind of a lot of flack from media down there after day two of practice because when he came in, he kind of blew off a couple of media members apparently. And like I said, day two was the day where they were practicing you know, um, outside. It was a close practice outside in, or indoors in a different facility. So they were all coming back in the rain and kind of this gauntlet set up. And so that honestly, I think besides him winning the MVP in the game, that was kind of the color from uh, you know, from the kind of the mainstream media coming into the game itself after a week of practices. But from the um, from the practice tape, um, interestingly enough. Uh, he was a little different than I thought he'd be from what I from where I'd see him on TV. Um, you know, Duke All Twenty Two is a little tough to get, as many know, kind of in the in the kind of in the industry. So you're kind of going off a lot of stuff that you can see in the practice tape was really really important for him. Um, you know, I like I like his ability. The best parts about him, I think, is he he threw the prettiest deep ball in this group, believe it or not, and that includes against Drew Locke uh, when he was in rhythm and when he was hitting rhythm fades, rhythm corners. That he he can really really spin it, uh, you know. I like I said, I was a little gangly in terms of his body type, but his body type is pretty athletic too as well. Good fluid movement in the pocket. Where he surprised me a little bit, and this is a big difference to the broadcast tape, was his footwork. Um, he he wasn't. I liked what I saw on TV, and then when I saw it in person, I saw the practice tape. He was a little sluggish, and overall, I think he was kind of just basically adequate to solid in that department. The other side that which is really which he got high accolades on from Cutcliffe was his high football intelligence. Well, that definitely you could definitely see that on on the broadcast tape as well. But in practices where he got hung up a little bit was his actual play speed to deliver the ball to both short, intermediate, and deep routes. And the two interceptions he threw on day two, which is where he got kind of the most flack from people that watched the practices, um, he was just slow to deliver. Uh, so I'm pretty confident in his ability to kind of isolate and eliminate within the progression, but then to go ahead and deliver the ball, both him and Jackson kind of had sluggish ability to basically release it once they've made the ulti- the overall decision. So for me, the, the strengths were liked his arm strength, liked basically what, what was said about him leadership-wise. Um, you know, understand that he got kind of hit a lot in practice, or sorry, hit a lot as a as a as a member of the of the of the Duke team. But overall, liked you know his ability to basically gain weight and take that take on contact later in his career, um, and liked his deep ball actually. But on the intermediate to short concepts, just, just wasn't you have to see more on this on his play speed and his ability to deliver the ball on time and on schedule. And there was kind of a couple of notes that on, from a practice perspective, you know, he was with John Gruden in the north. 
um, and then part of the North practice groups, you know, Gruden was going full West Coast with his terminology. There was some chatter that he was not picking up on that as quickly as you would like to see uh, for the first week of practice. It's interesting, Nick, because, you know, I'm not going to totally, for that last one, I'm not going to totally kill him for that, not picking up the terminology for a system very different, though it is interesting to note because obviously Pat Shermer's system has uh, West Coast principles involved. But for me with Jones, you know, the deep ball, I agree with you. Even even on some of his tape uh, that I've seen or some of the games I've seen, not all 22, but the broadcast angle from Duke, I haven't been had concerns with the, with his deep ball, especially his placement, his touch. Um, but, you know, it, it's really those intermediate out routes, the zip on that, the, the passes outside the hash marks that concerned me before the senior bowl. Um, me personally, from what I saw in that game, I thought it was more of a compile, uh, a stat compiling MVP performance. I didn't find it to be that impressive an MVP performance at all from Daniel Jones. And there are concerns that you brought up, Nick, not only about, you know, how he interacted with the media at the senior bowl, but how he interacted with his teammates. Uh, at the Senior Bowl, you know, and I'm talking about during the practice week, by the way. Um, you know, some people question his ability to lead, his ability to kind of have that. You know, when uh, just you know when Baker went to the Senior Bowl last last year, for example, Baker Mayfield, he really took control, you know, of that team that he was on, and you know, his teammates really played hard for him, and they they gathered around him. And I'm not I'm not I'm not making that judgment on Jones right now, but you know, nothing I saw in the Senior Bowl game, and I obviously didn't have you know, access to what you had during the practice week. But nothing I saw in that senior bowl game with Jones really impressed me and nothing I saw really changed my opinion of him. He is big. He does, you know, I really thought, you know, you know, there were a lot of talk about his arm strength concerns, but he does throw the ball with with, with solid velocity over the middle and, and pretty good timing at times. But like you said, there's times where his timing is off. Um, he's a guy who I think would be a forced pick for the Giants at number six overall. He's someone who, I'm already really willing to rule to rule off my board with the sit with the number six pick. I think it would be a mistake by the Giants. I'm not saying they wouldn't do it based on the fact that you know he has what they're looking for from a size standpoint and coming from Cutcliffe over there at Duke. But you know he's somebody who I'm not currently targeting at number six. Is that kind of where you stand with Jones right now? Yeah, super super early, but I don't think um, I don't think from a traits perspective after watching all that, that he really measures up in the, he, as, as well as the other guys in this, in the, in the, that are going to be first. The bottom line is I think he can be a first rounder, a late first rounder. And I get that, but I think that he's kind of more of a developmental first rounder, not that polished first rounder. And especially in terms of competition, et cetera, um, at Duke. Yeah. So I will, I don't think he's really in range at six. I would, you know, I think if they wanted him, they, they'd have flexibility, basically, to move around and get him, that type of thing. Yeah, and not that polished, to me, also adds a concern, considering the fact that I don't like his raw traits that much to begin with. I don't really see a high ceiling there. But a player who did impress me, from my opinion of, of watching the game, and I've been through the game on the broadcast angle, obviously, twice uh, now, was Drew Locke. Um, and... Drew Locke is a player who I thought had really good command, and he was really a lot more cool and confident than I thought he would be. You know, there was a lot of concern out of Missouri, and I did, you know, a lot of my opinion on him during the season was clouded by that Georgia game that I watched, which he was obviously was his worst game of the season, and he was really bad against Georgia. But, you know, when you go back and you look at more Drew Locke, you see that that game might have been an outlier for his 2018 season. He looked, to me, he looked very calm and in control during the game. Uh, and again, obviously the arm talent is there for Locke and the ability to throw from different arm angles is there for Locke. What did you see from Locke during the senior bowl? You know, he's an interesting kid and kind of start off. Um, he's by far of all the quarterbacks there. He by, he, 
maybe not by far, but I would say head and shoulders, he has the most moxie and command from a basically from a from a presence standpoint. When you walk by him, you know it's locked. We were actually doing a couple activities and we were away from the main area, kind of in the, in the hotel, and he accidentally actually opened the door to the room. It was basically like a conference center. And I'm just I'm just saying it was really weird. He like interrupted basically a presentation and everyone knew it was Drew Locke and everyone knew it was cool and everyone knew he just exited right away. Was, he's that type of dude. It's like massive commanding presence. You saw it during the game. He did gave like kind of a great interview. Um, you know, he has that ability. I think that so I think he has the ability to lead for sure. I do the, the chatter across the board from this at the senior bowl is that Denver loves this kid and that they're going to do everything they can to get him. That's kind of like, that's, that's the, that's the bid for Drew Locke from a trace perspective. Um, like his like his size, like his fluid mo- movement in general from game tape as well as a little practice tape. Um, you know, he's got a three-quarter release, which is kind of interesting from a technical perspective if you really are okay with that. It's three, three quarters is a high end. It's really a it, he gets sidearm on a lot of things. Now that gives him the ability to, like Dan mentioned, change his arm angles at ease, which is good. But overall, I think his um, I think his you know his his accuracy can get hurt on balls that he puts velocity on, he can, he can get a little bit high uh, as, as he's kind of throwing um, some some type one throws in there, some low line drive throws in there. But like Dan said, the guy's got the arm talent. He really has the best arm talent there. Um, and in general, you know, he throws the best, most consistent deep ball, I would say. He is a definitely a see it, throw it kind of deep ball player, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, you know, if you ask him to throw a bunch of rhythm fades in practice, you know, he, he he's going to miss a little bit. But in terms of, like, double moves and, and coming back across out of structure, the guy can put on a dime between 30 and 50 yards down the field with, like, really no problem. Um, so that was kind of interesting. I think it's – if you're going to like lock, you got to like your offensive line. Um, yeah. not, not just because he's immobile, but because it's – or he's not as mobile as the others, but he's he's someone who – you know, he wants the time to sit there and he look, he's not a rhythm thrower. He's the type of guy where his footwork, the more you look at it, it's not nearly as bad as you might think initially. I'm not saying he's poor, but I guess it's, it's, he doesn't strike you as a rhythm, rhythm thrower watching him on TV. Then you look at the all 22, it's his feet are sluggish when they get out of whack, they're out of whack very quickly. But in general, he's actually pretty consistent. Um, my biggest issue with him uh, is, is his ability to make anticipation throws and his ability to rely on his big cannon to get it into windows where in the NFL, everything is just so much tighter in general. I think if you ask him to execute it, a quick game consistently um, outside of a first read, I think that's, that gets kind of tight. Um, and I think that he may rely on those second reaction throws early in his career, and that may be kind of tough if you want to run an efficient offense. But overall, though, definitely first-round grade, Definitely, some of that guys are going to like, and and a lot of it's going to come down for him, I think, into how he takes to coaching and how much how coachable he is um, with his match. Because he had what two or three, he definitely had two or three coordinators at Mizzou, but recently, uh, you know, he had two head coaches in the last two years, and so I think that's probably actually a good thing for him. Um, you know, other kind of notes. Um, yeah, I think the the other other point I would make is I'm a little unconfident with how he breaks down. Uh, or how he how he reads the defense. He he seems to be a quarterback that likes to sit back in the pocket and wait for that guy to come open and then get him the ball as fast as possible. Which again, it get, ties back into the anticipation throw issue, uh, which is is I think something that he's going to have to get at the next level. Yeah, you mentioned anticipation throwing as an issue, and to me, that's a major red flag, Nick. You mentioned trust too much trust in his arm, windows that might not be there. 
in the NFL level. To me, that's another red flag. You mentioned his, you know, his tendency to really sit back, like to sit back there, wait to see it and throw it because he has trust in his arm. To me, that's another, that's another red flag for the most part, unless you can guarantee a lead offensive line for the Giants over the next decade, which nobody can. And then for me, like just a major red flag that I saw, you know, going back and just rewatching again, broadcast angle because it's basically all you can get your hands on. But games from his uh, career at Missouri is that he struggles under pressure, and just in general, his accuracy is not where I want it to be. Even at times when he's not under pressure, he's a guy who did improve in each season in a really tough conference in the SEC without much talent at all around him at Missouri. He has the arm strength. He has the arm talent. He has the size. He has the moxie. He has the things that, like you said, the Broncos, John Elway could fall in love with. Hey, you know who else has an old school approach to the quarterback position, at least traditionally speaking, the New York football giants. So again, he's a guy who I could definitely see the giants falling in love with. I would not be shocked if they took him at six. He would not be my pick at six. But I can at least get on board with him picking him more than I can get on board with picking a guy like Daniel Jones, who I really just don't see a ceiling for at the NFL level. But let's move on to a player who actually impressed me during the game that I didn't expect to impress me during the game, Nick. So I want to hear what you thought you saw. Well, I mean, what your take is from him, from evaluating the practice film on him and everything you saw about him at the combine. And that's Jared Stidham, the, the quarterback out of uh, uh, Auburn. You know, it's interesting. There's a – in that grouping, he, I'm not saying he was an afterthought, but it was kind of the other – it was the first day I really didn't take a ton of notes, but he flashed in his ability to basically deliver the ball on time, which not to really just kind of jump into it backwards, but playing for Gus Malzahn, you know, you're not going to they, – you're going to see mostly one read throws. Um, so that definitely kind of checked that box within there. I think the hardest part within Stidham – which practice would not reveal. The, for for Alex, the, the bigger part this week was actually the game, which I don't even re, I can't even really recall what he did in the game in his the couple series that he had. Um, but uh, you know, he he was a guy that under pressure at Auburn, that's where things kind of got awry. You know, two years ago when he had that great season, that it was kind of known that you know that's what that's what the slippage was was was, was this year. So within practice, within a non-contact practice, basically. You know, what you saw a lot of and was, again, kind of frustrating if you're just going to use that alone is, you know, the guys that were late or slow to deliver the ball, they were getting tapped by defensive line, but the play goes on anyway. So you're not seeing that direct result of, hey, it's a sack, it's an additional pressure, he's got to go off platform and make that throw. What I will say, the upside of Stidham is when he does make that throw, he he really has the most natural motion um, of the yep. group. Of the group. I, think, I, I think maybe Jones's overall motion is – a little better, but both. I think Stidham is more compact and more and and more efficient. Um, you know, you saw guys like Lance Riddick when he broke that broke when he broke the practice tape down. He really liked what he saw with Stidham. What's interesting about Stidham is he's going to be that guy that's going to go. He, he's not going to be a first round grade. I mean, at this point now, um, I don't know how he can really elevate that with only the combine left. Effectively. Yeah, he's be a first rounder. Yeah, so you're talking about someone who's kind of more of a project, and um, you know, it's interesting with the. the you know, guys made in, in the in the kind of the local tri-state media. They made a big deal that that uh, Shermer and um, I actually don't know who who specifically was in the meeting, but they basically took a meeting with Stidham, and people were like, "Hey, that's not the that's not who the Giants want," because you know the Giants have had enough third or fourth round, third and fourth round picks in terms of developmental quarterbacks. And the one point I would make, and I did make this on Twitter, I think at the time, uh, was that these guys, 
one of the best advantages of the senior bowl is you get to access you have access to 100 players who if you go to the combine you're going to have structured access to them but you're not going to have the free-for-all access in some cases so there's two types of meetings that are set up at the senior bowl the first meeting is a very very short the first type is a very very structured type of round robin time i think it's 15 or 20 minute time segments where it's kind of like speed dating and that is kind of basically get in meet the guy and like i said it probably is like very basic introductions in 20 minutes the other part of the interviews which go basically during it really was taken over the night segments for scouts uh, down in, in Mobile. It's kind of like an, an open free-for-all where players get kind of led into informal meetings that happen all over the, all over the place. And what you kind of, what the stories you hear is from scouts is like a lot of times they're introducing uh, guys to other teams after who's, who have relationships with other teams to help them meet those other teams. What I'm saying is you could basically go through the whole meeting process and maybe not get enough of what you wanted to from a player. So you're gonna spend a ton of time with him at the combine. Or if you spend a lot of time in the senior bowl, you're not going to spend as much time in the combine. The key is, above all this, is you're going to meet the players. That's their whole goal. They can get this practice tape whenever they want. They can they can go to their pro day and see the guy throw whenever they – not whenever they want, during those couple times when they have those pro days, right? The key axis here is the meeting. And so all scouts from pro personnel guys on down uh, to GMs, they want to they meet with players. And that was their goal to them. So – it wasn't one where the meetings really give away anything other than if the Giants are going to draft a quarterback or even going to sniff an interest at a quarterback over the next two years, you're going to want to meet with all nine quarterbacks, like a thousand percent, because whether you draft them or it's two or three years down the road, that meeting can really help kind of give you a feel outside of the tape and outside of what your scouts are just telling you. Right. And I'm not, and again, here's the thing with, with a player like that. And I understand the reserve reservation from Giants fans who don't want to take another, you know, Pick, you don't want to, I guess they would call it waste another pick on a mid-round quarterback prospect. And I'm not advocating for Stidham at all. And I understand that process. But like you said, it's it's when when they when they're there, the Giant Scouts, and they're they're there, like you said, to get as much as much interview time in as possible with these prospects because they want to know, especially at the quarterback position, there's so much more that goes into it other than the physical skill set. But I will say this about Stidham and why he stood out to me. I thought that. Really, what I the most thing I, what I glean most from watching Stidham is that you know I really don't like Daniel Jones because I, I, I watched Stidham basketball and I think at times during the Senior Bowl he just looked more fluid, more like you said his throwing motion was 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 really compact, it was really good, and he got the ball out on time with velocity to the out to the, to the outside the hash marks, and that's something that's important to me. But you know we don't have to spend too much time on Stidham. I want to move on to a couple of the other big names at quarterback before we move on past position. And a guy that a lot of Giants fans like as a mid round prospect, third, fourth round pick, maybe higher, depending on how you know his combine going goes, is Will Greer out of West Virginia. So what did you see from Will Greer down at the Senior Bowl? <laughs> Will Greer, I laugh just because Will Greer is like an enigma. I've uh, I've seen a fair amount of game tape on him and. Basically, haven't written anything because I I don't I don't know, I don't know how I'm gonna go about doing this. There's just so many players. It's like who do you write on? How do you write on? But you obviously follow the and get involved in the process. Um, Greer is a guy who overall, from a practice perspective, he was someone who I think really needed to shine pretty strongly to get kind of into the top quarterback consideration. Um, overall, on tape, the biggest thing that stands out, and I'm not out of school for saying this. This is the, the smart guys that I follow say this and echo this sentiment as well. And and I didn't really see it until I could actually see it, basically, is the way to say it. He's great in his, up until uh, in the first three steps, three to five steps into his drop. Yep. His footwork is very good. He's very fluid. I think he actually can read the field pretty well. His throwing motion is unorthodox. So everything footwork-related after his drop is like 
in some cases, okay. Some cases, all over the place. Some cases, he forces himself into un, uh, basically off-platform throws. And quite frankly, that leads to inconsistencies. Now, that's going to get masked in the quick game because he's got a quick release. And guys right. like me are addicted to guys with quick release because you can get the ball out on time. You don't even have to be that accurate. If you're on time, you're going to work. Um, the tough thing for me with him was just overall – if, if you had to get past two and three reads, his rhythm breaks down. You know, you don't have that – that rhythm part of his game is not going to be there. On the deep balls, he's actually better than I thought he'd be on deep balls overall, but you still see scatter shotness, and you definitely saw that in practice. Um, I think you could see – you could glean from practice a little bit that he's – you know, he's a leader of men. He's a guy that likes to kind of get – That he's a guy that is very likable, and that whole group was kind of likable too. You could see they were kind of having a good time and maybe had a little more juice than the other quarterbacks – and the other quarterback grouping in the north um but in general i think that it's it's a it's a tougher go with him because you know when we talk about this all quarterbacks are going to have improvements to make you know i've heard the best qb coaches talk like hey you're gonna have like eight to ten things that you can help a guy improve on you know what do you want to do in the first year well you don't want to disrupt him too much i think someone's got to take a stab at helping him with his footwork and how that plays out i don't know so i think you throw him in the developmental bucket and it's just something that's going to be tougher and something that you know for me i think he could develop into a into a backup quarterback for sure and i think there's a spot for him in the league but it's not going to be something where it's it's like you said it's a mid-round pick yeah you broke that down pretty much spot on how i see it right now nick how i see the evaluation and what i saw during the senior bowl game so i won't dive too much further into that but i do want to get your take on a player who really intrigues me a player who and I've made it clear I don't want the Giants to do another one of these mid-round dart throws at the quarterback position. But there is one quarterback who I might be open to doing it with, and that's Tyree Jackson out of Buffalo. <laughs> well, kid, man. I, I've tried to watch as many Buffalo games of his as I could find. But, you know, there, there's it's he's raw. Like, he's super raw when I watch him. There's so many issues that, like, his throwing motion to me is, is a bit of a wind-up, and that's an issue. But – and, but in general, just from a raw standpoint, I love what I see. Raw talent standpoint, I love what I see. What did you see from him down there during the practice week with his teammate, everything like that? You know, he, he's interesting. He's made me rethink height um, at the quarterback position just because he, it's almost like sometimes guys get too tall. And then how does that affect their overall ability to deliver the ball on schedule? Right. Like just because it's difficult with a longer body. And that's what I saw with him. And, and I, and I don't, I don't mean to really talk a guy down, but it's one of those things where it's like his lower body when it was right, he could really deliver a great ball, but it was wrong. It was all over the place. And that happens. Obviously that's that kind of like is almost a story with all quarterbacks, but with a guy like him, you just saw his, his level and his stance was different from each from different a lot from play to play. Um, and he was a guy that like, like you said, when he flashed, you know, you're talking about a 50, a 50 yard deep ball. That's really, really good. Um, I, my biggest concern for him just written right here. Look at my notes is look at my notes now is just the ability to distribute on schedule consistently. Um, yeah, I, in practice, he was the type of guy who, when you, when he needed to, like you're kind of describing, throw a ball to the outside flat, deliver a ball into kind of a smaller window in the, on the six and six or seven on sevens. He was a guy that was going to run at the target a little bit. He was going to kind of carry, look, and zone in, and then move to the target and kind of have like a long wind-up process. Yeah, I was I was writing these notes. I was writing. I'm going. Is he hitching or is he not hitching? Is he moving at the guy at the guy and ultimately at the target? And that to me was, it, it's it's it doesn't mean he can't get there. It just means that he's very raw. And I'm very surprised 
that he didn't want to transfer uh, and into it to a bigger program this year and kind of at least had a shot to, to, to start at, at a higher level and get and get more refined because I think someone who's going to take him is going to have to think that he's a project and is going to have to get to, you know, it's going to be a one to two to three year process type thing. Um, yeah. Overall, though, you know, you, I think you got to like the, the arm talent. Um, and that's going to be enough, I think, for some guys to want to take a chance, like you said, in that mid to late round, mid to late round area. Yeah, arm talent and the athleticism. He's pretty athletic for his size uh, as far as movement skills go. But again, like you said, like it almost feels like he profiles better as a fit for a team with like Philip Rivers or a veteran quarterback still playing at a high level. But clearly, you know, time time will his time will pass because he definitely needs a few years of development. He's not, he's not going to come in and be the giant starting quarterback in 2019. Like it's just not that's not happening. But Again, it was a really interesting quarterback group there. They ended up getting a lot more talent than I thought they would. And again, for at least relatively speaking, compared to what this 2019 quarterback class is, obviously there's differing opinions on that still right now. I'm personally not a huge fan of this class. Um, but you know, as we move closer and we see how they look at the combine, we see the interviews, we'll get a better idea of if the Giants are a fan of players in this class. But I want to also talk about other players who caught my attention and players who caught your attention during the practice week in the game. And we want to start with a few linebackers who caught your attention. Like we talked about at the top of the show, linebacker is a very interesting position. It's one that I think the Giants will invest assets in this offseason. It's one that I think will be a big focus for them moving forward with the new age type of style of linebacker they're looking for. So talk to me a little bit about Tavon Coney, uh, Jermaine Pratt, these guys, Drew Tranquil, guys that really caught your attention, two of who were former defensive backs who are now playing the linebacker position. Yeah, I think the biggest one to kind of jump to it that would be applicable applicable to the Giants, um, kind of as a sneaky mid round pick or mid to late round pick. We got that question, I think, um, is Drew Tranquil, um, and Tranquil is kind of interesting because I think many people may kind of overlook a lot of parts of his game. Um, I broke down a lot of the Notre Dame tape too that kind of would come along with him. Uh, and it was just really kind of interesting to see that. The the biggest thing just to cut to the chase and kind of give the, the the quick and dirty is he can cover tight ends, and he can cover tight ends that are faster than he is. And it comes from both almost – this is way too off of a, of a way to say it, but he, his his intelligence reminded me of like – as like the square root of like, of like, a, of like a Keekly in the league. Like he was really able to understand what was happening in the playing field and it just made his play speed very, very fast. On top of that, he's got really good hands, which is unexpected almost for a guy of his profile. Um, what was really interesting for a guy of his size, he's 6'2", 235. Um, he's not exactly violent. So it's not he's not that traditional linebacker that like finishes hard, is hard nose, and is going to basically be downhill. He actually need from his game tape, he kind of needed to take on blockers a little, a little bit. I would say stronger at the point of attack. What was what I really liked about it is what I saw in the practice tape. He did that at the Senior Bowl, so it's almost like someone was coaching him up, saying, "Hey, listen, like this is what guys are saying about you. This is what you want to show." And he right. showed kind of the opposite. That to me shows a leader, and that's why I know now. And we look, he's a two-time captain. He's a guy who's come back from two really tough injuries. And basically, like, you know, I think that builds character. And, and the whole injury thing, I think, is an old other conversation that is that is what it is. But for him, I think I think it's a good chance to – it's a good risk to take because you – I don't think you have an intelligence or football intelligence risk. And you have a guy who can click and close. You have a guy that can finish and play through the, through the catch point. That's, what the, that's a need the Giants absolutely need or actually have, basically, at this point. 
And you know what, Nick? I loved what what you saw. I took a little dove into these three guys after we talked prior to the podcast, and I did like his ability to cover tight ends. That's something that you know, not only you mentioned, but a lot of a lot of scouting reports I've read have mentioned that. Um, I liked how he looked. Just tried to get a little bit of watch a little bit of him as much as I could uh, in preparation for this. And like you said, his football IQ it shows on the field. He plays faster than he probably is athletically speaking. Now, will the Giants have an issue with him uh, having torn his ACL twice? That's possible. Well, they have an issue with the fact that he'll be 24 years old as a rookie. That's possible. But you know what? This is a player who might intrigue them in the mid-rounds as, at worst, a really big-time special teams ace for them, uh, but also somebody who can kind of come in and fill that niche role of covering the tight ends and playing more of a covered linebacker role in specific packages. So he's definitely someone who's caught my attention now as well. Uh, but other players have caught my attention that I'd like to get you know just a quick, brief takeaway from you on, Nick. I guess we can leave it at that. Um, and this is just from the game, not so. I want to kind of hear, you know, how they look to you during the practice week. I'll start with Keelan Doss, the wide receiver. I thought he looked really smooth, really natural. I see an NFL career for him for sure. What did you think of Doss? You know, someone I didn't pay attention to that much, but yeah, no, within the the bigger wide receiver that's fluid, that can that has the production, that can that can get, you know, can win in isolation. Yeah, he's definitely there. And I, I don't have really much of a projection there but absolutely someone who i forget who his one-on-one matchup was that everyone was talking about um just again because i wasn't watching that that part of practice but yeah someone who you know i i think he definitely definitely is gonna have at least a a home in the nfl and someone who's probably gonna actually have an impact i bet as a rookie yeah and you you talk about dawson you talk about the wide receiver position for the giants if they don't re-sign cody latimer you know and if they don't re-sign Corey coleman or even if they do re-sign Corey coleman they still need talent at that position it's not a top priority for them. They have so many other needs, but you know, this, if they have a, if they have a player like Doss rated highest on their board at a point, you know, in the middle rounds, I don't see them hesitating to take the best player available. Another player who stood out to me uh, in the game was Kalen Saunders, defensive tackle. He's just, he's, this is the type of guy where I, I still think the giants are going to take, I think everybody kind of feels like the giants feel like they're set on the defensive line, you know, after finding BJ Hill, um, obviously, Dalvin Tomlinson, players in recent years, but I kind of feel like Gettleman's a drafter who's going to who's going to take defensive linemen over and over and over again. It's what he did in Carolina, regardless of the need. And Saunders jumped out to me just from watching him a little bit during the Senior Bowl game. What did you see from him? You know, it was interesting. I I paid a little bit of attention to them on I believe it was the first day of practice. His athleticism is is, is nuts. Yep. and and I absolutely agree that that, that, that this, tackle by the way. <laughs> right, right. No, and it's one of those things. One thing, the thing that I kept on noticing though, which is a little bit not a red flag, but it's like he's a little raw, and that he was ending up on the ground a lot. Okay, and that and that's just something where it was, it was like hesitation, and, and it's again, I have not done, I'm not broken him down, but it's a note that I have of like, hey, like, is this guy going to be on the ground a lot on tape? If you start seeing that, you can start kind of putting piecing things together. But definitely someone that just to agree with you, this this defensive line class is is maybe the best in like I don't I don't know how long. You know, it's an epic, epic level of talent. So you're going to have guys like this that may fall where, although people, like you said, people may think the Giants are set there. I don't think that's kind of the case at all. And especially with way with the way they want to build things going forward to make a lasting kind of push in, in, in to, to try to build something, basically. So, yeah, he's someone that from from the athleticism point alone. Um, I think that that uh, I think that he's, he's, he's definitely would, you know, if he, if he fell to whatever level from a value perspective, it's there. Yeah, no doubt. And then a player, you know, uh, shifting a little bit more to players who stood out to me uh, based more on Giants needs. 
Dalton Reisner, the offensive tackle, you know, everybody talked during the week uh, how Montez Sweat was the best you know, pass rusher at the game. I thought, you know, Reisner had a couple chances to, to go up against him, and I thought he did really well in the game. Um, and then how about in there in the practice week? I mean, there's a chance now that he's kind of cemented himself as more of a first-rounder and the Giants won't have a shot at him. But there is also a, a chance that they trade back up into the first round if they fall in love with any of these players. What did you see from Reisner? You know, to be honest, I didn't uh, wasn't wasn't focusing on much of his tape. Um, I I am definitely more of a uh, the, the Washington kid. Washington kids, his name's escaping me. The taller yeah, kid, yeah, right. Yeah, more on that side of things. Um, you know, and again, I kind of need to, to basically revisit revisit that to really speak to him. Uh, it's one of those things where he definitely had that. Obviously, had the moxie and had the. You know, had the, kind of a lot of the shout-outs, and, and, and a lot of guys really like him. I, from what I've read and heard, I, don't, I think first round maybe a little bit of a little bit high for him. Um, but one of those things where again, like yeah, I think that the, I, the Giants are definitely a draft a tackle at some point. You know, whether it be second or fourth round, I really, I really, yeah, really, really think that. And so, you know, yeah, it definitely name would be in the mix, and 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 it could definitely follow up. Even if they sign a tackle, I'm with you. They're drafting one. It might end up being with one of those fourth round picks, and not the second round pick. But they're drafting a tackle. Um, I think we can we can both agree. We'll we'll both be shocked, me and you, Nick, if they don't draft a tackle. Yeah, um, and that's not to knock Wheeler, but it yeah. does. Like oh, those yeah. guys want Wheeler to be the swing, and it's like, hey, listen, you want that swing that pushes one of those guys a little bit, almost right for the job. Like you've yeah. got to have that level of competition for sure. I don't know who wants Wheeler to be the swing. I guess you've seen that in your mentions. <laughs> I, I have, I have, yes. <laughs> and thankfully, I haven't because I the ship has sailed for me with Chad Wheeler. Uh, hopefully uh, I'll be proven wrong on that one, but the ship has sailed uh, for former undrafted free agent who now we all of a sudden think is a swing. You know, why is he, what, why do we need him to be the swing tackle? I mean, he was a free, I, I don't know. I, I didn't like what I saw from him last season, 2018. I didn't love what I saw from that right tackle at least in 2017. I don't, I'm, I don't feel tied to him, but as we move a little bit past the senior bowl, I wanted to do a quick recap, a little preview, short preview of the free agent offensive line market, we're gonna do a we're gonna dive into a lot of uh, free agent talk as it gets closer. We're still, you know, over. I guess we're a little over a month, more than a, about six weeks away from free agency kicking off. Right. Um, so we're not there yet, obviously. But I did take a little look, uh, you know, kind of an overview of every single free agent offensive tackle, guard, and center because. Honestly, Nick, I do believe that if the Giants are going to make a splash in free agency, and I'll be perfectly happy if they don't make any splashes, but if they're going to make one splash, I believe it will come at the offensive line. You look at the Giants' offensive line right now, and there's really not any money tied to that to the to the group. You have Nate Solder, massive contract, but outside of Solder, you're not paying these guys that much money. You know, if they bring back Jalapio and Pulley at center or Jalapio and a rookie, that's not any money there. Will Hernandez. He's, you know, he's on a rookie contract, second round pick. That doesn't cost them any money against the cap. Right guard to be determined with Jamon Brown, but I doubt they re-sign him to anything expensive. And then obviously at right tackle, Chad Wheeler is on a undrafted rookie deal. So that's near, near league minimum. So if they do want to make a splash with their salary cap space, and right now the Giants have, after the decision to, you know, after they get the nearly $2 million back from the decision to release Barwin, they're going to have around, I believe, just under $30 million in free agent in, in salary cap space. And obviously a lot will change uh, depending on what they do with Eli Manning and that $17 million and depending on, you know, other decisions like Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, there's still a lot of moves that could be made. And obviously Landon Collins is going to cost them some money, but they will have some money to spend 
if they want to. And you know what, Nick? After really diving into it, I think really the position where that they should target is offensive tackle in the free agent market. It's the only position of the three that I think has enough talent at it that they won't have to get into any kind of bidding war because there are teams that are going to enter free agency with two times, three times, even four times as much salary cap space as the Giants. So if there's only one really good offensive guard per se or one or two really good offensive centers, the Giants really won't have a shot at them. But at that tackle position, Nick, there's three guys who really stand out and intrigue me. The first is a guy we've talked about on this podcast before, Daryl Williams, obviously former Dave Gettleman draft pick out of Oklahoma, former fourth-round pick when Gettleman was with the Panthers. In 2017, he was the second-best right tackle in the NFL according to Pro Football Focus. Um, then he got injured uh, during the preseason in 2018, and then again when he tried to come back, he got injured again and missed the entire 2018 season. I think he's the guy for me. He's the target, but you know, if he ends up being the most, the hottest player on the market, which I don't think he will be based on the next two guys I mentioned, there are other options. Jawan James is a guy who the Giants were tied to when he came into the NFL draft. Uh, he's played tackle, offensive tackle since the Miami Dolphins after they, obviously they drafted him and he's played right tackle. He's not going to come in and play left tackle. They don't need him to play left tackle. Um, and, you know, according to ESPN's pass blocking stats, James won. 80% of his pass blocking tries, fifth best among all offensive tackles, left and right. Um, you know, he didn't have as high of a rating with pro football focus, but he is a consistent offensive tackle who is really a, you know, more of a finesse offensive tackle, pass blocking first offensive tackle, but he would provide stability, I think, at that position at right tackle. And like Daryl Williams, he's young. Daryl Williams is 26 years old. John James is 27. Um, and then the third guy, obviously, is the guy who many Giants fans felt they should trade for. And that's Trent, uh, last offseason, that's Trent Brown. The New England Patriots obviously traded for him. He had a breakout season with the Patriots, though he does have a lot of red flags. You know, there were a lot of people who talked down about his time in San Francisco. He was overweight a lot of the time. You know, he didn't fit in there. But he's also 26 years old and coming off a really, really strong season. So in your opinion, Nick, do you think the Giants, you know, from just an overall standpoint, should and would make a move for one of these three guys? Yeah, in my mind um... – Real, I, I think you'd be looking at Williams because the familiarity with Carolina or James. And one interesting thing is that, you know, when I actually actually had to break down um, the Miami Dolphins offense on two on two different two games versus the New England defense. Um, that's how my offseason's gone. And actually, the running the rushing attack for Miami was really interesting. Uh, they were very multiple. They ran a lot of gap schemes uh, that were kind of complex. And the, I, he didn't necessarily flash, but – I kind of like that overall versatility coming from that type of scene and coming from the pure outside zone schemes where you have the smaller undersized guys that are going to, you know, you know, basically right now we're seeing that the Giants in year one are mostly zone schemes, but they're mostly interiors, uh, inside zone and mid zone. Uh, so I think it's going to be kind of, I think this right tackle as well as who maybe they even get at RB3 is going to be indicative of how of what they're going to want to run. Uh, but I actually like James there in terms of that overall scheme fit. But like we said, kind of who knows is what, what's going to be. But I like that uh, I like that number two option there for sure. And my guess, Nick, is based on the fact that, you know, James is a much cleaner injury history and Williams is coming off the injury. James will be that big ticket guy that, you know, yeah. right on the first day, right a few, few hours, the, you know, whoever has cap space, I haven't looked deeply into it, but the blank sign him to a ridiculous contract that, you know, rivals Nate Solders, maybe even exceeds what Nate Solder got. So I do think for that reason, he may not be the guy for the Giants, but 
you know, we'll see how that plays out. There are also some interesting, like low, um, you know, not as, you know, I guess highly publicized offensive tackles that intrigued me on this market. Matt Feeler, uh, you know, right tackle, 27 years old. He's an unknown. He played for the Steelers and last year he was forced into action and he was pretty solid overall. He, you know, he wasn't amazing, but he graded out just slightly above average according to pro football focus as an offensive tackle. He's 27 years old. If the Giants were to make that, you know, similar splash to last year with Omame, which maybe they won't make because, you know, maybe they feel like they learned their lesson. I think it could be on a guy like him. And Ty Neshek, uh, uh, I don't never know how to pronounce this guy's name, Ty Neseki from the Washington Redskins. Now he's 33 years old. But guess what, Nick? When he was like 28, he was still a restricted free agent. And I remember writing an article, maybe like 29, I remember writing an article about how I thought the Giants should sign him. He's always been a pretty damn good player when forced into action. Obviously, he's better as kind of like a swing tackle backup role. But I do think in general, Nick, as we've talked about, the offensive tackle position that I know me, you agree with me on this. We would both probably agree optimal position for the Giants would be to draft one and to sign one. Basically to find a swing tackle through free agency and then to draft one uh, to play right tackle or, or you know, the opposite route, depending on what they view for the 2019 season and if they're going to go ahead and get a guy like Dowell Williams or, or, or Jawan James. But, you know, just guys like Niseki and like um, – and like Matt Feeler, even Donovan Smith, a free agent, you know, former second round pick. These are players who I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants took a swing on uh, in free agency. But then as you move on, Nick, it gets it gets very, you know, murky when you start to look at the other positions. At offensive guard, for example, I do not like the talent on the market. The only big guy who might, you know, get a major deal, or no, who will get a major deal, is Roger Saffold, their offensive Rams, uh, I mean, sorry, the Los Angeles Rams offensive guard. He's a he's a really strong player, you know. He's a big player, really good blo- run blocker. He was the third best run blocking guard according to Football Focus last year. But he's 31 years old, and I don't really think he fits what the Giants are going to want to do as far as giving a contract to a 31 year old, um, also a player you know who's had injuries in the past. Um, so outside of Saffold, Nick, and and what are your thoughts on Saffold? Is he someone you think the Giants would want to you know dive all in on and give a big contract to? Uh, not sure just because, um, I, for, he's a player that I like, uh, he's one of those guys though, that he's kind of a bigger, the bigger, the, the, the size and the age thing, again, we're getting to what, what, what style they want to run. I think if they want to run basically a lot of inside zone, I'm not sure if he's kind of yeah. that guy, believe it or not. And so that's where I kind of, I hesitate there. Um, the other side of it is. My thought process is a little different just because this draft is really deep too at the at the guard position. So I think that you can pick up that equivalent. I, I, I really think they're going to sign Brown just because he checks a lot of boxes, and I think that that's going to be there. So the draft would be somewhere, in my opinion, or I think the, who you want to acquire is someone who can play center too as well, or at least have that level of versatility. And I think you're just going to get that with a different type of guy in this in this pretty pretty strong draft class on the O-line side of things. Yeah, and you really look past that at the at the free agent market offensive guard. It is littered with players on the wrong side of 30. Ramon Foster from the Steelers, you know, I don't see the Giants signing him really. He's not 33 years old. Um, Mike Iupetti, obviously he used to be an elite player at one point. He's 32. He's going to be 32 now, um, and he hasn't been really good in a while. Mike Person. So, you know, Max Lawson who just said he's going to retire. This is a gross, gross market at offensive guard. You know, one person who might intrigue me a little bit is Billy Turner, the former North uh, North Dakota State 
player who's only going to be 27 years old, has had decent decent grades according to Pro Football Focus, but also does have familiarity with zone blocking scheme. So he's someone I would keep an eye on, Billy Turner, if the Giants are going to go ahead and make a swing at the free agent market offensive guard. I don't think they'll sign a guy like James Carpenter. I don't think he fits what they want to do. And then you really dive down and you're seeing, you know, there's not that much talent on, at the market at, at offensive guard. Is there anyone that stood out to you from the names I mentioned or anyone you think they should kind of take a swing on at the offensive guard position? No, no. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think, I think it's, I think it's, I think it will be Brown. And, um, and that's who I would go with too, from an overall fit perspective. And Brown, and, Brown and a rookie makes the most sense to me from that. Right. Right. Um, and then you move on to center position that's kind of murky for the Giants, I would say. They do have Halpeu, who they've openly talked about. They really like. They really want to bring back. They really want to give a shot to compete. And Pulley, who didn't play terrible, you know, in, in his chance at center. But, but you know, both are restricted free agents and whatnot. And, you know, or Pulley's out unrestricted, I believe. And they're going to have to make a decision on those two. But when you really look at this market, to me, it's very, very similar to the offensive guard market. There's Matt Paradis, the guy from uh, the center from the from the Broncos, again, has his own scheme experience, a guy who grades out extremely well when he's on the field. But he also uh, was lost for the season in week nine with a fractured fibula last year. You know, he was a former six-rounder. That doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is he's a guy who's going to require – as, as somebody who graded out so well just last season before injuring himself, he's going to require – uh, a really big contract. And I don't know if the Giants want to give a 29-year-old center a massive contract. I really don't see that being the position they invest in if they choose to invest in the offensive line. I mean, there's some other intriguing guys, Nick. Mitch Morse is a guy, you know, a former top draft pick, second-round draft pick. Um, but then when you get down further in this list, you see guys like Brett Jones pop up, you know. And I'm just c- compiling basically a, a list I created based on pro football-focused grades, um, and a few other factors uh, like that. But is there anyone that intrigues you from the names I mentioned, or where do you kind of see the Giants going at center? I, I think that if they actually had a shot to get Paradis, um, right, they would they'd have to. I actually broke him down to the scouting academy. Um, the guy's going to be a Pro Bowler. I mean, I don't I don't even care yeah. what age he's. He's really he's really good. He's his leadership actually pop. Sorry, we would fit the scheme. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that so much with him. He's, I, I had him as scheme versatile. I had him as super active in pass pro. He's guys always looking for work. Um, yeah, he's, I wrote actually displays good zone block ability and most reach blocks with good agility and brings hips to full defenders and outside zone. Um, I liked him in gap. He's just, he's a leader of men. And, but I, to get to the realistic point of this, he's going to command a big contract. Big contract. Yeah. And so that's where it's like. In my opinion, you're going to have a guy like Solder. I think it's hard to have another one like that at center right. um, in terms of that number. So that's where it goes. But if you could somehow get him in the affordable, whatever you think that is, and again, we have no idea what their valuation metrics are for this. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a player that I had. I, my projection for him was uh, was was Pro Bowl actually going forward. Right. So, um, so, so, I so high. would you would I, I think where we stand on that is basically the Giants might have a shot at Daryl Williams out of this group out of all the group of the entire free agent off the line, just based more on the fact that they won't have to really, they might not have to, we shouldn't say they won't, they might not have to compete with all these teams with tons of cap space versus a guy like Paradis who's, you know, they're going to have to compete against. And there's somebody's going to offer a massive contract too. Yeah. Right. And that, right. From a supply demand. Yeah. That's a good point. And that's something where, you know, if you got both, I think, you know, maybe that's the way they think, but I think, I think it's hard to, 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 to throw the, that level of money at both of those, at both of that, at this point in time right now, um, knowing to, 
uh, you know, over the next two years, who you're going to have on the interior line coming out as well. I will say this, though, Nick, with regards to that and the cap situation that we kind of just briefly touched on, I do think there is actually room for another big contract on this offensive line. I really do believe that. I believe they're going to have Will Hernandez locked up for uh, on a rookie deal for long enough to the point where they can either move on from somebody like Paradis or Williams if they sign them this offseason or Nate Solder at the time where his rookie con- where Hernandez's rookie contract is up and they're going to have to resign him. And then I also think they'll probably hit or at least look to hit on another big time offensive lineman in this draft. So when you factor those two things in, and if he's on and if he hits and he's on a rookie deal, now you got two guys on a rookie deal. You got a guy, Nate Solder, whose contract is going to be up by the time I believe actually that Will Hernandez's rookie deal is is up. So I think from that standpoint, and again, you also have most likely Eli Manning's contract coming off the books. If not this offseason, next offseason. And then you have a rookie quarterback deal likely in slotted in that spot. So there's going to be a lot more cap space that opens up based on the future of Eli Manning. And just based on, like I said, them potentially having two rookie contracts locked in with Will Hernandez and hopefully a draft in the 2019 class. So I don't actually think that would be holding them back. I do at the same time think that more so what would be holding them back is the supply and demand. I don't think they're going to have the, the where I don't think they're going to enter free agency this year with the with the mindset of we'll get into a bidding war again at offensive tackle, offensive guard, offensive center, like they did with Solder, and we're going to try to win it. So I think that's yeah. where I stand there. No, it makes sense. And the other side of it too is you can't allocate all those resources ignoring the defense, right? Right. And so, like, although it may be there in the in the in the, in the, in the overall perspective, it, I think they got to shift it the other way too. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, good points though for sure. No doubt. Um, all right, let's actually take, take this time to show down, Nick, to dive into the questions from the listeners. We got a great crop of questions this week, so I'm excited to jump into them all. Um, we'll start with Neil Wynn, who asks, the Giants roster has been hamstrung by years of bad drafting in round three onwards. Until this year, of course, because B.J. Hill was a steal. Uh, Dave Gettleman made a mixed start last year, jury out uh, on round four and five picks. Um, who should you know? Who should have attracted him at the Senior Bowl as day three players who can make a difference for us as surprise year one starters or key rotation guys. Yeah, I think that um, you know, I think that Tranquil was one that we had we that we mentioned. Linebacker. Uh, yeah, from the linebacker hybrid specialist type um, player on the defensive side of things. Uh, a couple other notes that I would have, um, and I, again, I I say all these with the caveat because I I and most people fairly have no idea where these guys are going to get drafted. Um, but the two tight ends down in Mobile, Moreau um, and Foster Moreau, um, they all they both can block and they both have pretty good hands, so they fit that profile. Are they yeah. both probably going to be going to be too rich probably for the Giants in terms of that later round? Maybe, but if those guys fall, I think you have to look at them that way. Um, a guy that I really liked, maybe it was because he caught every ball that Ryan Finley threw to him, uh, was Jacoby Myers from NC State. And and it, those the, those that listened to this podcast this entire year have known that I've kind of wanted a guy that can win in isolation for the Giants, and uh, Myers basically can do that. I think he's not a tremendous route runner, but he's got great hands. The guy can stab really anything. He's got a great catch radius, and and like I said, just you know just has that physical presence. Uh, so he's someone in the mid in the mid to later rounds that I would look at you know for that wide receiver three slash four position. Um, and again, any other guy who I like to same type of same type of mold is probably going to be a little higher than that. Uh, would be Terry McLaurin from OSU, uh, wide receiver, 6'1", 205. He was their practice, wide receiver practice player of the week down there in Mobile. 
Um, he's not going to, his, his trick is where he may get bumped down a little bit. Is he's one of those guys who's not going to, he's not going to test at a freak level. He's not going to be crazy. He plays, you know, I, I don't know where, where he's going to run, but it's not going to be a low time. So for, for overall, a guy's going to question his quickness and the shine's going to kind of going to come off him. So if, you, if you're a third, fourth round type area, you know, if you're in that range, I would kind of look to him and because you don't know, get wide receiver three, wide receiver four. Is he the type of guy who can win in isolation specifically? Probably not, but he's just a good overall player, plays special teams, making tough catches. You know, obviously he's got familiarity with someone else the Giants are looking at and Dwayne Haskins. And, you know, and I kind of liked a lot what I saw from him on, on the practice from the practice side of things. I like it. T Fed asks us if Hask Dwayne Haskins was in last year's draft, where would you rank him in relation to Baker Mayfield? Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Josh Allen. <laughs> Ranking prospects as a prospect after all those guys have had one year in the pros. It's hard to go back to those notes and fully forget what you what we've seen. Um, for me, it would be again. I don't really look at the board this way. For I just don't. You know, I don't have like a mock draft or have a ranking in that level, but I would have him. You know, I don't think he was as refined a pocket passer as Rosen. I think overall his talent is a little different than Darnold's, probably a little bit lower of his overall ceiling. Uh, so behind Darnold, uh, behind um, who's the third person I'm forgetting? Baker. Behind Mayfield, yes. Yeah, but behind Baker, just because I'm a quick release guy. So if you're if you're a quick release guy, you got to love Mayfield. So he would be well, I would have him kind of fourth or fifth in that in that ranking. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty spot on there. I'd have him fourth, just above Josh Allen, um, and behind Baker, Darnold, and Rosen. My issue with ha – and we'll talk a lot of Haskins in the coming podcast, but I don't know if I see the ceiling I want to see with Haskins. That's my biggest issue right now with him. Um, but, you know, I definitely have him – I would definitely have him above Josh Allen still. Um, and behind Josh Rosen, because basically what Nick just said – passer from a footwork standpoint and from uh the way he th uh, i guess from i guess his technical arm from the way he throws the football and how he moves in the pocket um under pressure and how he performs under pressure these are all things that are still a bit questionable for me with Dwayne Haskins um and I know people say, you know, Rosen was so bad last year with the Cardinals, but none of those people will understand like how bad that Cardinals roster was and how they really were the true worst offensive line in the NFL. And they really were the true, you know, maybe the worst, most least creative offensive scheme. I saw a stat yesterday about how David Johnson was only used as a wide, motioned out as a wide receiver on 7% of the snaps after being used at on 18% or higher on the two, two seasons before it. And, and really his yards per route run, was one of the best in the NFL at the position. Actually, was the best when they used him as a wide receiver. So, you know, there's there were reasons for the for for Josh Rosen's uh, performance, lack of performance last year. And I will die on that hill, by the way. But um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, let's move on. Thomas Cornfield asks, "What are the Giants going to do with Olivier Vernon and Janoris Jenkins?" Um, I'm still kind of unchanged there. I, I do think that OV is the one that's at risk of getting cut, and I don't think Jenkins is the is at risk at at this point uh, for this for next season getting cut there. Yeah, we're we're spot on there, Nick. I'm just with Nick on that one. I think if anyone's going to get cut out of those two, it will be Vernon. I still think the Giants are more likely to cut Vernon the season after because again, if they cut him this offseason, they'd free up 11 million, but they'd also have an eight eight and a half million dollar dead cap hit. And if they're going to go ahead with this plan to keep Eli, they cannot afford to add any more dead salary cap to their cap situation because they don't have enough, quite frankly, to do so. Um, and they're not going to find, I don't think they're going to find any free agent edge rusher at 8.5 million or at 11 million um, or under who's going to really 
be able and who's going to not only be able to outperform Lavivar next year, but also at the same time when you do sign a free agent edge guy to replace Vernon, which they'd have to do if they cut Vernon. Now you're committing to him long term. You're committing salary cap space in the future versus a guy like Vernon, whose cap hit is going to only go down from this season on. Um, moving on, client nine asks. Any thoughts on how Eli's two Super Bowl victories place him in history versus Brady now that uh, 12 has cemented his GOAT status with a victory number six? Um, it has to help Eli, even if it, recent history is not so good, Client 9 says. Um, any thoughts on that, Nick? Uh, for me, no. I'm, I'm just a lowly tape guy. I don't have not have the, uh, <laughs> the ability to speak to previous uh, but I But people do are interested in this, and they are interested in my takes on this and our takes on this. So I will say – um, it definitely, it, you know, it helps him. The more, the more quarterbacks and teams Brady can beat, it's only going to help Eli Manning. Obviously, if Nick Foles, you know, if the Eagles hadn't strip sacked Brady on that final drive and they lose that game last year, it's, it makes a big difference as well. But, you know, in the end, that's going to be the bait that we'll get to when the time comes, but not now. Client Nine also asks, uh, and this one I know you can touch on, Nick. Mm-hmm. Uh, any second thoughts on Kyler Murray after that weird interview on the Dan Patrick show? He says it was unprofessional at best and really bad at worst. What do you say? Yeah, you know, not a great look. And, you know, I think it's one of those things where it just kind of gets kind of then taken out of, out of hand and not taken out of hand like it was blown out of proportion, but just like, you know, clearly it's someone who wasn't really getting coached up on how to how to deflect questions in a way that are going to kind of talk a lot and say very little. It's actually interesting. I just had a thought pop in. Like if you think about how Dave Gettleman's final presser went, where he really didn't say anything, but talked a lot, that's how probably, you know, Murray wanted to be. Instead, Mm -hmm. it was kind of just saying nothing and saying nothing and just getting really awkward after a while. So um, interesting though, his dad, Murray's dad was a great quarterback as well. And he's actually just, as an aside, he was 220. He's 6'1", 220, his dad. So I'm interesting from a frame perspective how he's going to measure out because that's the only thing holding this guy back. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> going back to the football, uh, the football basically measurables and uh, and, the, and the fundamentals here. Yeah, I mean, listen, I didn't love that interview uh, either. I think he's getting some bad advice. I think he, like Nick said, he probably had an idea of what he wanted to do. He just didn't execute it well. But that's not going to be what the Giants decide or any team decides. Oh, is their final, you know, determining factor on Colin Murray? They're going to have extensive interviews and meetings with these prospects. And like Nick said, I mean, Nick said that's the only thing holding him back is frame. I agree. He is literally the only quarterback in this class that I can get excited about having a really, really big ceiling on. Like I was excited about Mahomes during his draft. Like I'm talking big ceiling. I don't, yeah, I don't feel that way. Unfortunately with Haskins, Locke and Jones um, and anybody else. Uh, who, who, but, but Murray, I do think has that, but again, the frame is a big, big, big red flag, and I will find out at the combine what he, you know, actually measures in at. But for me, it's not the height that worries me; it's more of the frame, um, the size, and if he can even, you know, you know, you know. People say, "Oh, he can put on weight if he gets into an NFL weight training program," but some people's frames just can't handle the weight. Um, you know, Russell Wilson they compare him to, but Russell Wilson is a very different frame than Kyler Murray, and I think that's important. Uh, but anyway, we'll move on. I digress. We'll move on a little bit. Uh, Emesis asked one I think you're going to like, Nick. How much weight you guys should feel should be placed on fit versus ability when drafting? Does position play into it? I get why it matters, but at the same time, I think you don't pass on a Brady because you need him at home to run a certain type of offense. Plus, sometimes coaches come and go. Quick anecdote. Um, I've heard you know, certain communities, certain scouting communities, there actually are like, 
teams that have scouts that'll draft based upon who they or will, will write and recommend players irregardless of who they think or who is currently the head coach because they think that they're going to be there in three to five years and the head coach won't, which is just kind of crazy. Um, I think it gets into – I think there is way too much an overemphasis in the mainstream media to fans of scheme fit for a player, especially quarterbacks, uh, you know, as opposed to what their traits are showing. The traits always kind of went out. And overall, ball is ball, and although there's different things, it's not because the guy ran an air raid in college and won't be able to run a West Coast in the NFL. Right now, there is virtually, if anyone can show on tape the differences in NFL offenses between West Coast and Coriel and air raid, you know, definitively, like that's all they're going to run. It just, it just doesn't exist. It's all blend. So basically, how it's coach, the good coaches take the best traits and cater to those best traits of players, and then try to you know hide their their weak traits. Um, so I think it, it really doesn't for, for the good organizations, it does not, the fit almost has more to do with the guy's culture, the guy's culture fit, his ability to coach yeah. than it does the, on the scheme side. Yeah. I think you just perfectly summed that one up. Um, Anthony Friesk asked, what are your thoughts on Will Greer's accuracy? I thought he looked pretty good during the season, but from what I saw at the senior bowl, it looked like his accuracy took a bit of a dip. I'd have to concur. I think he's spot on. I, I wanted to see that guy with the quick release that's getting the ball out efficiently. That's, you know, the practices are moving. I'm snapping my fingers. You know, you're going, you're going. And, you know, he just, he, he's a he scatter shot. And again, you can't judge a guy from only the practice, but I think it stems back to his footwork. It's something that he's got to, you know, that's going to have to work on for sure. No doubt. And Anthony Friese also asks, how does the lack of experience by a quarterback like Dwayne Haskins affect your evaluation? He made progress as the season wore on. And that is definitely something you want to see, but having only one season to tape makes establishing a floor difficult, I think. Yeah, that's another good question. And I think that, I think, believe it or not, I think his traits are strong enough where the floor side is okay. Right. He's right. distributes the ball. He distributes the ball on, on schedule pretty accurately, despite throwing off platform and, and throwing from weird angles a lot of times, really pretty well. And I think that's almost that's what makes him really special. It's it's getting into the ceiling of how far you think he can go, you know, and where he can take you, and then and then on all that, that's going to be tough. I think that the other side of it too that'll trump experience is his love for the game, and specifically his love how that gels with an offensive coordinator slash QB coach, and how that goes over the next two or three years. So that's almost more important than overall the the fact that he only played 13 games. The fact that he only played 13 games, that the biggest thing as a scout from my perspective is you, he hasn't seen a lot of things go wrong. You know, how, how can you judge his competitive toughness and his character based upon that? Well, not on game tape, you can't, because he, it only happened maybe how many times in that Ohio State season, right? You know, and, and if you have a 36, 35, 40 game starter, you know, you're, the shit's going to go wrong a lot of times. So you're going to have good, a good sample size of examples for that. Yeah, I think for me, Nick, um, like you said, I'm not as worried about Haskins' floor as I is as I am his ceiling, which I'm not so sure I see being that high. Um, I'm not saying I don't, but I'm not so sure. And for me, I do actually think you know, old school NFL rule, an old school NFL rule in this, that I've <coughs> in the scouting community, and something that I'm not so sure is untrue even now is that there, there was a rule for a certain amount of games started uh, uh, at the position. I'm now forgetting. I believe it was the 30-30 rule, but I'm not I'm not so sure, so I got to double-check that one. But it was based on, you know, a certain a certain requirement that quarterbacks have to meet when you evaluate them coming out of college, and it involved completion percentage, game started, and one other factor that I'm not remembering at this time. 
But I do think game started is an important factor, Nick. I really do believe that. I believe that the more experience you can get at a higher level of football than that high school level that they're coming from, the more prepared you are for the next level. I believe it's a reason why the Giants will be interested in a player like Locke, who has a ton of really, really, really big time starts against, or I'm, I'm sorry, a ton of starts against big time SEC defenses. Um, now, it doesn't mean I would rule a player out who doesn't have a large sample size like Haskins and doesn't have a lot of experience, but it's definitely something that to me would stand out and something I would have to basically make more of a projection. Basically, I'd have to lean more on a projection for a player like him. Um, Benji asks us, do you think that the Giants will pass on a QB again to shore up the defense? <laughs> Short answer, no. Real answer, anything's possible. <laughs> I think I, yeah. I, if it's a, I, I, my guess, Nick, is they will pass on a quarterback again to, uh, to select the defensive player. Now, I know that's going to put them in a, in, a, in, a, in a rough spot at the quarterback position, um, but I, it's just my gut feeling right now. Um, Benji asks, will Sam – and mostly because I actually think that getting Haskins would require them to trade up, by the way, but we'll touch on that another time. Um, Benji mm-hmm. also asks, will Sam Beal start right away or will they bring in a free agent cornerback to start? Uh, definitely think they they need cornerback depth. They need secondary depth, oh, yeah. and whether they get it from you know the free agency market, they feel strongly that that'll depend on their pro department, how their pro department feels, or whether they get it in the draft. This class is not unbelievable for the draft. Um, I do think uh, Beal can. I don't think Beal. I don't know. I, I, can he start right away? I think he has the traits to start right away because he's long and he can play well in press coverage on the outside, which, you know, quite frankly, the guys that they had this year can't do that, including Jenkins. It's not really Jenkins' thing. So immediately he he offers a different type of skill set. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think he can. Uh, Willie, I, I'm not sure, uh, but he definitely has the traits to do it. Yeah, I was listening to Stick the Football podcast uh, earlier this morning, and they made a good point. Uh, they believe that in this class, Buell would be a second-round pick. Um, and they don't think the Giants totally killed themselves by using the third round pick of this year's draft during last year's supplemental on Bill. I think he'll have a Bill have a good shot to start right away. But like Nick said, they're going to need to add free agents both via the draft and free uh, on drafted free agency and regular free agency because you know you can't just uh, you know you can't you can't lean on BW Webb and Grant Haley to play seventy five percent or one hundred percent of the snaps again in in Webb's case uh, during the twenty nineteen season and expect. And expect something good to come from it, in my opinion, at least. Um, he also asked, Benji also asked, what can be done at free safety? Is there any option for them via the draft or free agency? Have not gone over the free agent mark yet. I don't know if Gettleman would pay. I don't know if pay for that. That's the hard yeah. part. I think they, the more I've kind of taken a deeper look at what Betcher does, which is just, really a lot of pattern match you're you want a rangy safety and they don't have that so if they're going to stick with the draft i think you're going to have to we just mentioned like nine guys nine ways they're going to have to go for the draft right they only have 11 picks which is a lot or they have a high number of picks i'm wrong on that number but they don't they can't draft for everyone they're all these positions that we're talking about so at some point they're going to have to make a decision i I don't know where they stand on, on free safety because if they if they stick with the profile of the defenses that they played, they're going to want a rangy guy. How they find that rangy guy, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. But the, to me, that that's the key is range and ability to have a high football intelligence. That, that those are the two biggest kind of priorities um, that they're going to need for that position. 
Yeah, it's really tough to find safety position in the free agent market. I mean, you've seen teams swing and miss and fail. Usually have to give a massive contract. Jairus Bird always comes to mind for me with the Saints a few years back. Um, and, you know, the Giants hit one time when they did it with Andrew Antrell Roll, but it's a risky proposition and it requires an incredible amount of investment. Safety is free, deep safety, especially, is one of those positions in the NFL where the demand is much higher than the supply. I don't know what the Giants are going to do about that need. But I, I, but I'm interested to see, you know, if they have anything up their sleeve. I bet my guess is they'll try to take another swing in free agency, maybe on a guy, maybe a little higher profile than Kyle, Curtis Riley, but not, not anything too high up there. Um, and it's again, it's not a great market there either. Um, Benji also asked, do you see Gettleman trading up for any position other than a quarterback? No, unless if you're. No, unless if it's like a day situation where someone drops and he wants to make he wants the second round because you know that he does he is aggressive right so if it's someone it it it's not to answer this question is it's not going to know unless you're in that in that room with them and it's someone who falls to the, to, the, to the middle of the second and or if that's a long way to think of it um, who keeps on falling I guess and he wants to and he wants to step up in the second or third round that type of thing. Yeah, no doubt about that. I don't see I don't see them trading up for anything else than a quarterback. But you know, it wouldn't totally shock me given Gettleman's uh, history as a general manager. He really, if he loves a guy, he's not afraid to trade up for him. Um, last question on today's show: Anthony Rivardo asks, "Damn, uh, hey, damn, Nick, what do you think the Giants would get in return for trading Olivier Vernon? Is a late first or second round pick possible? Is that too much to ask?" Um, uh, that's too much. That's way too much. Uh, Anthony, I'll just jump in real quick here, Nick, just because that it's not – I mean, Anthony, listen, if the Giants were going to get anything close to that, they would have got it during last year's trade deadline when they put – when I you know, I have from a good source that they put him up on the market and were looking to trade him at all costs. I don't think anyone wants to trade for him and his current contract right now. He's not – he hasn't been fully healthy in any of his three years with the Giants. He's had injuries all three years that have affected him for large stretches of play. He's set to be, you know, third highest paid player, defensive player, defensive end again next year. I mean, he has no trade value, in my opinion, on the market. If the Giants were able to offload his contract for anything, similar to kind of what the Rams did uh, with Alec Ogletree last offseason, the Giants traded for him, it would be a fifth round, fourth round pick in that range. Um, but I don't even see that happening personally. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for on today's show. Stay tuned with us uh, during the offseason. We will be diving back into this. We're going to do a big show for the Combine, post-Combine, free agency, all that good stuff. Um, but for now, you guys can find all of our work online as well. You can follow my work on Twitter, uh, Dan Schneier, NFL, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R, NFL on Twitter. You can also find all my work by downloading the CBS Sports app, clicking the Giants as your favorite team, or on 247sports.com. Uh, backslash NFL, backslash New York Giants. And Nick, where can we find all your work? Uh, for the Giants at cover1.net over at Inside the Pylon and my Twitter handle, TeamManic21, uh, for all my stuff there. Good stuff. All right, guys, on that note, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.